You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and on Young and Profiting Podcast, we investigate a new topic each week and interview some of the brightest minds in the world. My goal is to turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your everyday life, no matter your age, profession, or industry. There's no fluff on this podcast, and that's on purpose. I'm here to uncover value from my guests by doing the proper research and asking the right questions. If you're new to the show, we've chatted with the likes of ex-FBI agents, real estate moguls, self-made billionaires, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of entrepreneurship, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. Welcome to the show, Young and Profiters. I'm your host, Halataha, and before we get started today, I have a very important question to ask. Have you joined the Yap Society text community powered by Slick Text? If you're shaking your head no right now, you need to do it. If you guys join this text community, you'll get exclusive content, discounts, and you'll get texts directly from me. I'd love to hear your feedback on the show. And all you have to do is text YAP, Y-A-P to 28046. That's YAP, Y-A-P to 28046. Or go ahead and look in the show notes and click the link to join our text community. Now, are you wanting to start a business, but you don't know how? Do you feel like you're running into hurdle after hurdle, preventing you from making any progress? Well, you're in luck because in this episode, I'm sharing a clip from a June 2021 Clubhouse Live episode with serial entrepreneur and venture capitalist, Britt Marin. Britt is also featured on Yap episode number 103, and she's one of my favorite guests. So I'm super excited to bring you this highlight episode so you can listen, learn, and profit faster. Britt is the founder of four companies, including Brit & Co., which is a modern lifestyle and education company that has a community of tens of millions of women per month, self-made an educational platform that helps female founders start and grow a business, and BFF, a community that helps women and non-binary people get educated and connected on all things crypto and Web3. She's also the founder and managing partner of Offline Ventures, an early stage technology fund and incubator. In this episode, Britt and I yap about how to get a business off the ground from choosing a name to deciding the best way to fundraise. We chat about the do's and don'ts of branding and Britt gives tips on best practices for market research and answers questions from the audience. This is an episode you need to hear if you want to get your dream business up and running. So let's get into it. What is your philosophy when it comes to testing a new business idea? Like, how did you know that self-made was a good idea? And can people replicate that methodology to test their own business ideas? Yeah. I mean, the first thing you need to know is it only takes one person to say that you have a customer base. (laughs) So it takes one buyer to start collecting data. After that person experiences your product or service, if they have a positive experience, the likelihood is they will tell someone about it. And guess what, you guys? Word of mouth is your best possible marketing asset that you can have. And if you have one person that tells two people about your product or service and those two people join and they tell two people, you have created now a viral coefficient of growth. COVID has taught everybody what this means, right? If the RT rate is greater than one, that means something is growing exponentially. And so if you can get every one person that tries your thing to tell one to two people about it, and they try your thing, then you're going to have a business that's on fire. And so for me, I knew, literally, I had no expectation. I was like, all right, literally 10 people might join this. (laughs) I don't know. But I know that my passion is to make this happen. It almost feels like it should be like a nonprofit because it's just full. Like it's so much from my heart, but it's a lot of work and it does have costs. So it's not a nonprofit. But I just was on a mission to help women. And I I think that that sense of just like purpose and authenticity shined through. And we had, you know, at first hundreds that joined and then, you know, we did it again and had hundreds more and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, literally the first expectation you should have is that one person <laughs> tries your product or service because it will grow from there. And if anything, 
use that to get data. I don't think enough people realize that like you can put up a Squarespace website and you can, you can see like, what do people like? What are they clicking on? Oh, they're generally more interested in the fact that you have like celebrity A-list guest teachers, like Gwyneth Paltrow and the founder of Minted and the founder of Rent the Runway helping to teach your course, then they care about, you know, the swag that they get or whatever. And so, you know, I think that it's really important to at least get started, even when it's messy, because otherwise you'll be waiting forever to launch. I totally agree. I actually just interviewed the first CEO and co-founder of Netflix. His name is Mark Randolph. And he had a really cool quote. He said, you'll learn more in an hour of trying something than in six months of thinking about it or building a business plan. So I wanted to ask you about that in your self-made course. So for you guys out there who don't know, Brit has this 10-week course where basically it takes people on a journey to think of their business idea, launch it and get a foundation to start a successful business that can scale to, you know, multi six figures. And so do you have like a framework that you give people in terms of like a business plan? Do you believe in business plans? What are your thoughts on that? Oh my gosh. I mean, it is structured with a lot of thought. So the 10 weeks take you through basically everything I wish I would have known before I started my first business. And the first part of it is really just about getting in the right mindset because that is the foundation of entrepreneurship. You know, and especially, I think it impacts men and women the same way. There's a lot of self doubt. Can I do this? Am I good enough? Experienced enough? Smart enough? Is my product good enough? Is it perfect enough? Should, is it ready to launch? Is my idea even like big enough? And so, so much of the first phase is mindset. Then it's actually a, the next level of the pyramid of what makes for a great company is the actual idea. Like, what is the product or service or thing you're offering, and how? Are are you differentiating it? Are you sure that this is in line with your actual passion and what you're good at? You know, what is your total audience for this potential product? What is the competitive set like? Like, how are you going to build a moat around this to make it like really impactful and big? What about the business model? Should it be like a direct to consumer, like a straight up e-commerce type of business? Is it better as a subscription? Are you going to have licensing or advertising? So we walk through all of that stuff in the first half of the course. And the second half is really about the go-to-market strategy. How do I build a customer base? How do I market to them? How do I make sure they're engaged? How do I make sure they're coming back? How do I do a pitch? How do I raise money? How do I get PR? Should I work with influencers? Like all of these things are covered in a matter of 10 weeks. And we actually end the whole thing with a pitch day, which is like literally Shark Tank, where we give away like many tens of thousands of dollars of grants. And it's incredible to see that so many people have literally concepted and launched their product or service within two and a half months. And, and it's actually amazing. And many times off already bringing in legitimate revenue. So I think like what we all tell ourselves when we're thinking about doing entrepreneurship is that, you know, one day I'll do that. One day I'll get up, get the hustle or the sort of like confidence to do that. And one day becomes no day because you actually never do it. Or you think of it like a side hustle, like maybe I'll spend my weekends working on it. But the truth of the matter is if you actually want to make a change in your life, like, you know, you have to commit to something and you have to really like almost manifest that this is going to happen. And to do it in such a concentrated amount of time is often the biggest leap of courage that you need to ensure that it sticks. Mm, so there's so many ways I can dive into this. I can ask you about your perspective on side hustles. So Britt, I want to touch on a point that you just made. And you mentioned that you are a VC investor. You uh, invest in early stage companies before they've launched or right after they've launched. And so you look at entrepreneurs and decide like who you're going to invest your money with based on personality traits from my understanding, and maybe their past experiences. So I'm wondering, like, should everybody be an entrepreneur? Like, is that real? Like everybody can be an entrepreneur or are there certain personality traits or characteristics that make a good entrepreneur? I do think there are certain people in this world that 
feel it within them to be the type of risk taker, change maker, leader that is, you know, definitely required of entrepreneurship. However, I also think there are people who might maybe feel that, but are kind of on the rocks, aren't really sure because they have a lot of self-doubt and they haven't really experienced this before and they haven't learned how to be an entrepreneur. And I do think that a lot of it can be learned. I mean, I was... I had just turned 25 when I started this company, Britain Co. Sorry, I've now started multiple, but like Britain Co. I started when I was 25. I had managed three people ever and had never raised money. I never like hired a whole team of engineers and directed them. And I had no idea what I was doing. There was an element of faking it till I made it. There was an element of like just Googling a lot of things and, and talking to a lot of people and getting advice. And there is this element of like just learning through experience. And frankly, like for that, you need this attitude that like I will run through every wall that gets put in front of me. Like, I'm not going to stop. I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to show up every day. I'm going to wake up and like bulldoze my way through whatever the problem is that comes up. And I'm going to be the one that's ordering the toilet paper, but also like hiring engineers and also raising money and also being the face of this brand. And like, that's going to be okay with me and exciting for me. And so, yeah, there's this quality of entrepreneurship that might err on the side of like insanity maybe, (laughs) but there's also the sort of this like ability to just be decisive, confident, nimble. So much of entrepreneurship in the early days is just about like making decisions and changing decisions when the data proves you wrong. And, you know, the first two years of any startup is just finding product market fit, figuring out what is it that your customer actually wants from you. And all the only way you can do that is to put something in front of your customer and collect data and change, change the way you're doing that every time you get more data. So, so yeah, those are the core traits of an entrepreneur. And I do think there are some people that are destined for it. There are others that are kind of on the fence that I think are trainable. And there are others that want to be the number two. They don't want to be the number one. And those make for amazing teammates. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. So we're going to get with the uh, Q&A. We're going to roll with the Q&A. Catherine, you are first up on stage. What is your question and how can we help you? Hi, thank you so much for hosting this space. I'm definitely excited to be here. So my question is in terms of just like getting started, because I just launched my business back in March of this year. And so it's super exciting, but it's also really overwhelming. And so Britt, my question is like, what best practices or advice do you have for someone just getting started, but also how to stay in it and not get too burnt out or overwhelmed at the beginning or for the long haul? Thank you. <laughs> well, um, Catherine, congrats. That's amazing. Especially, I mean, everyone that launched a business during the pandemic, I think should get like a double party celebration <laughs> because that shit is hard, you guys. And I know it's been lonely and all of the things. However, yeah, it's, speaking of loneliness, I think it is really lonely in the beginning. And this doesn't get talked about enough. And by the way, on the mental health spectrum of entrepreneurship, most entrepreneurs are, you know, two to six X as likely to have symptoms of depression, bipolar, ADHD, and a spectrum of mental health disorders. And I think that part of that is because they're geniuses. And part of that is because, yeah, it could be a very taxing job. And so core to starting your company is to make sure you are taking care of yourself. So I think if you launch, you're three months in, you launched in March. So right now, what I would be doing is a data, data, data. How much data can you collect? What's working? What's not? Why is it not working? Can you talk to your customers about that? Can you, again, be agile, nimble, like lean into what's working, stop doing what's not. The biggest thing that I see a lot of new entrepreneurs uh, do, that's a, that's a big flag or a mistake, is that they're trying to do too much without dropping the things that aren't working. I got into the same rut myself with Burton Co. In the early days, Like I would keep iterating on new ideas and new things that were working. And I would launch new things in hopes that they would work even better, but I wouldn't cut the stuff that wasn't working. We would sort of maintain it. And that does not become sustainable, especially when you have a small team. And I think that we as humans get so caught up in the preciousness of our work. (laughs) And so we really don't want to kill our babies. Our babies can be things like, you know, the products that we made or this one service that we really love and believe in, but no one's buying it. Um, And you have to get to 
to a point of apathy <laughs> in entrepreneurship where like it's literally just a data decision. And so you cut that thing out of your business. You just double down on the thing that's working and you zero in on your focus. And when you can do that, you can actually structure your days such that you, you aren't working, you know, 6 a.m. to midnight every day. There might be one or two days a week you have to do something like that, especially if you have a big launch or something. But like, I think building in personal time, self-care, quote unquote, hot buzzword of the moment time is really important, especially in the Zoom life that many of us are living right now. Like get off the screen, go outside. If you're vaccinated, be around people and take care of yourself, work out, eat well. Um, Because at the end of the day, you know, it's we're not in the the physical workforce anymore. Like we don't work in fact, and some people do like factories and things like that. We're in the knowledge workforce. Like we tax our brains more than ever these days. And so if we aren't relaxing our brains, then we're not able to recover. And so we need to build those phases of the day. in, especially as entrepreneurs, because we're taxing ourselves more than most. That was a great response. Catherine, did you have any follow-ups for Britt? Did she help you today? No, no follow-ups, but thank you so much. That was definitely super duper helpful. I appreciate it. Let's hold that thought and take a quick break with our sponsors. Young and profiters, they may call me the podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. I've been a LinkedIn influencer for six years now, and I teach one of the most popular courses about LinkedIn. And I love to teach sales on LinkedIn because when it comes to B2B sales, LinkedIn has got that on lock. LinkedIn is where all the decision makers are hanging out. There are 180 million senior level decision makers on LinkedIn and 10 million C-suite decision makers. These people are on LinkedIn and they're in the mode to buy. They're using LinkedIn for their buying journey to research vendors or sales reps that they might work with, to look up how to solve their problems, to Learn from industry thought leaders. They are in the mode to buy, whereas on other platforms, they're in the mode to be entertained. You want to get them in the right mindset. You want to cut through the noise with LinkedIn ads. In fact, 79% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as their top channel for paid media. And LinkedIn has the best targeting because they've got all these different inputs. People are putting their resume basically up on there. And so there's so many keywords that They can use to target the right decision makers so they can hear about how you solve their problems. And I've got a special gift for all you young and profiters who want to try LinkedIn ads. You can get $100 credit. LinkedIn was super generous. If you want to make B2B marketing everything it can be and get $100 credit on your next campaign, go to linkedin.com slash yap, Y-A-P. Again, if you want to claim your credit, go to linkedin.com slash yap. Terms and conditions apply. Young and profiters, are you dreaming about starting a course? Do you want to go from one-to-one to to one-to-many and scale yourself? If you're thinking about starting a course, then you need to hear about Kajabi. Kajabi is the OG of course platforms. I've got creators in my network like Jenna Kutcher and Amy Porterfield who have been using Kajabi for over a decade. These ladies know what they're doing. They are literally the course queens. And so I took a page from their playbook and I started using Kajabi. I've been playing around with it because I'm launching a podcast course next month and I need a lot of features that only a course platform would have like Kajabi. And they've thought of it all. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and so much more. One of the smartest things that I did when I launched my course is I focused on the content. I lasered in on that. I made sure people were getting the best investment they could, that I wouldn't get any refunds, that people would tell their friends and my course would be successful by word of mouth. And I did that by focusing on my content, what I was good at and not all the tech. Leave the tech stuff for your course to Kajabi. They are experts in that area and they've thought of everything that you would ever need for your course. So if you want to start your course, now is your chance. As you guys may know, I always ask my sponsors for a free trial for any software that we talk about on the show. And Kajabi was super generous. They gave us a free 30-day trial that you can get at kajabi.com slash profiting. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash profiting. That's K-A-J-A-B-I.com slash profiting. 
Go to kajavi.com slash profiting and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Awesome. So Britt, I have a quick question before we continue on with the Q&A and it's related to starting your business and specifically how to name your business because you've had some really great names. I mean, Brit & Co. really took off. It, it includes your actual first name. What is your, you know, process in terms of coming up with a name for your business and what are some of the things are like do's and don'ts when it comes to naming your business? Oh, I love this question so much. Um, and we cover this in the, there's a whole branding section of self-made where we, we, I bring in the experts to teach a lot of this stuff. Cause like, I know a lot of it, but it's so much better to hear from like the founder and CEO of one of the biggest like marketing and creative agencies ever when it comes to things like branding than me, because they've literally invented <laughs> some of the biggest brands in the world. So that's what we do for, from what I've gleaned from Emily, who's our um, branding coach for self-made and what I've experienced in my own career. There are a few pieces of advice. One, don't get so hung up on your brand name that like you aren't going to launch your business. And this happens a lot. This is part of the perfectionist tendency where you're like, oh, I just don't know. Should it be like this name or this name? And I haven't decided yet. So I haven't bought the domain. So I haven't launched my website and I haven't built my Instagram channel. It's like, just pick a name. It really doesn't matter. You can always change your name. Like you literally redirect your URLs. It's totally fine. Britain Co., when it first started, this is a true story, was called Hello Brit. <laughs> It sounds so dumb saying that. Maybe it's fine. I don't know. Like, hello, kitty. I don't know what I was thinking, really. Again, I was 25 and knew nothing. And I was like, this sounds kind of dumb. I think I'm going to change it. And I was like, this is really about... I know, like, I wanted to be part of it because I wanted people to know there was a real human on the other side of the coin and the website, you know. And I wanted to bring back almost like small town America. Like, you know, back in the day, you knew Disney because there was a guy named Walt Disney. And like, there's this dude named Hershey who made Hershey's chocolate. That's where you'd get your chocolate. And like, it was almost this like maker, small business, main street vibe, but it was also about like bridging the community into what I was doing. And so I came up with Brit and co because it was like Brit and the community, like Brit will be like the one teacher, one like face, but there's a whole community of amazing women that are experts at all the things that they love to do, whether it's cooking or decorating or coding or investing, and they're going to teach you their craft. And so that was how I did that name. I made that change like two years into the business. And all you have to do to make a name change, you have to trademark it, sure. So you can go USPTO website, do a search and see like, is Brit and Co. taken? Um, and if not in your category, by the way, this is a legal thing. We also cover in self-made. We have a trademark attorney that comes to coach this part of it. Delta is a popular airline. Delta is also a popular faucet company. You can have the Delta trademark in your distinct category. If I wanted to, wanted to launch Delta, I don't know, drywall, and I searched for it in that category in the USPTO website, I probably, I would guess that that's available. You guys can tell me. So, so I think that that's really important to make sure the trademark is available, but that's a quick search, right? And it shouldn't prohibit you from getting it started with at least a first name. And the last thing I'll say is that, you know, typically names are short and sweet. So sometimes people have really long names at first, those just aren't as catchy. I mean, think of it tagging that name on Instagram, right? That's not going to be really fun. Whereas Clubhouse is a great name, right? It's two syllables. It's easy to spell. When I say it, you know what I mean? Self-made is another one. Facebook is another one. Whole Foods is another one. Amazon is another one. Like these are two to three syllable names, easy to spell, roll off the tongue. If I'm in the back of an Uber and the Uber driver asks me what I do and I say I'm the founder of Selfmade, you can't you just understand that out the gate. You know, there are these weird companies, not weird, but like they're like Flickr, for instance. The photo was like F-L-I-C-K-R. Like you can sort of understand it, but that trend is a little bit over, I think, at this point. Um, I would I would recommend using like real words, full words. And if you can't get the domain, this is the other thing that we see a lot of entrepreneurs mess up on. They're like, oh, I want to be like Delta Drywall, but that DeltaDrywall.com is taken. And so that's, that can't be my business name. And it's like, why does your URL have to match your business name? That's not a thing. You can actually 
be like get delta drywall.com you know for us it's we're try selfmade.com is our url because selfmade.com is taken by a different brand and that's fine so anyways those are some of the key pillars of thinking about branding and naming that i think are important for every new entrepreneur to know i love that i think you gave some really good tips and for me like the big takeaway from that is like don't let anything become an obstacle that's unnecessary For example, not having the domain name, that's actually just a perceived obstacle. It's not real. You can do something else. Not knowing exactly what the name is, you can start with a name and then, you know, over time, evolve your brand, evolve your name. It's all about just getting started. Just like you just built a website in two weeks and tested your idea for self-made. It's all about getting started, doing it messy, not being afraid. So I love those tips. I have a company called Yap Media, which you know about, and I've completely bootstrapped it. I haven't taken a dollar from anyone, no loans. I funded it all myself. And now, you know, we were profitable very fast and that's just kind of keeping the business afloat. But I guess I always wonder, like, is there some like telltale signs that show you that like you need to get an investor or you need to get outside funding. Also, like, what are the advantages and disadvantages of getting an investor versus just bootstrapping your company? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think, you know, we've really glorified venture capital thanks to things like Shark Tank and and others, which is awesome. I mean, I am a venture capitalist. So, but I also think that sometimes the wrong kinds of companies take venture capital dollars and end up hating their lives for doing so because, you know, you should only really take venture capital if you believe in the concept of jet fuel. And what I mean by that is if you think you are on a jet right now, your company is a jet, it's not an airplane, it's a jet. And if you just had the right jet fuel, aka lots of money, you could fly to Mars in an hour, <laughs> um, then go get the jet fuel, right? But you've really got to believe that you've got a jet and not an airplane. And what that means is like, is your concept, is your business an idea that can be a multi-billion dollar business that can, you know, really stand out from everyone else in the market because you have some sort of competitive advantage, a new way of doing something, a technological innovation, a patented innovation, you know, what is your moat, as we like to say, that really distinguishes you from the rest? And are you cool with like trying to grow this thing really, really big in the next five to 10 years, because that is the expectation of a venture capitalist is that they will get a return on their investment within a five to 10 year period. You know, for companies like Facebook, you know, where it's like, we are going to connect billions of people around the world. That's a really big jet, right? (laughs) That's a big idea. And it's also a very sort of aspirational idea if you're like, in the first three months of starting, like Mark Zuckerberg probably, you know, had a lot of people that were like, uh, whatever, this is like a college, like play thing that Mark's doing in his dorm room. Right. The people that said no, but a lot of people were like, Whoa, this is the future of where the internet's going. This guy's really smart. I already see traction, even in this Harvard network of, you know, what he's built. I can see the data around the fact that like, this is already growing, right? Like people at Harvard are already engaging with this thing daily. Like, you know, 50% of its users are daily users, not even weekly or monthly users. And every time they add a new school onto the network, the same thing happens, meaning this is really engaging, really sticky, really viral. And so when this thing spreads beyond colleges, this is going to blow up the world. You know, that's how a venture capitalist would look at it and be like, all right, I'm we're like, let me write the check. So it's also really good, you know, to approach a venture capitalist once you do have some data because that's, that's typically really important. Even as a seed stage investor, which I am, you know, I typically like to see some sort of traction. Even if you like have a wait list of 10,000 people that want your thing and you haven't launched it yet, that's some traction, right? That's some data. Like give me something to work off of rather than just an idea. We sometimes fund just ideas, but it's really rare. So just be careful there. Oh my gosh, such good tips. I can't wait to listen back to this because I'm like vigorously taking notes because it's helpful (laughs) for my own business. So I have one question based off, you mentioned the word moat. 
And then we're going to get to Shadline, by the way. I know you've been patiently waiting, so just hang tight. And if you guys have a question in, your, in the audience, just raise your hand. We'll bring you up on stage. So I want to ask you about the word moat because you've said it twice now. I was going to ask you about it before and then it slipped my mind, but I would love to hear that because it sounds like it's your differentiators, but I'd love to hear that in your own words because it's something I've never heard before. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it's literally like a moat. Like you would think, I think I learned about this in like third grade when I was learning about like different types of land structures. Right. And like, you know, the moat is like the on-ramp to like a, a island or a peninsula or something like that. Like it's a, you've carved out your own space in this world that is like, imagine being surrounded by water, right? Like people can't compete with you because you're so far away from them that, you know, your, your competitive advantage is that you have done something that is so radically different or technologically hard to copy that it becomes a moat. Sometimes your brand can be a moat. For instance, actually a lot of investors told me that calling it Brit and co was a moat for me because no one can literally copy Brit like me, the person, right? Um, I mean, maybe that would be really weird if someone did that. In fact, this is a side story, but someone used my face on their retail packaging of their product line. And it was really awkward anyway. (laughs) So, so that's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a competitive moat. Like, you know, I think I'm an investor in a company called Bobby, which has reinvented baby formula, which doesn't include all the crap that all other American formula creators have in it, like soy and corn syrup and terrible stuff for your child. And actually spent four years getting FDA approval for their, you know, secret ingredients and, you know, chemistry of their formula. That is a moat. Like that is really hard to compete with. In fact, like they also have a manufacturing agreement that is a specialized manufacturing process. That is a moat. You know, it's going to take these other giant corporations many years to figure out what this recipe is, how they're manufacturing it, how they're producing it, which gives Bobby the ability to really like leapfrog ahead of some of these competitors. We'll be right back after a quick break from our sponsors. Young and Profiters, I'm about to be jet-setting all over the world. I'm going to London, Cancun, New Orleans, and New York to speak. I'm going to be up there with the bright lights, and I want to be spiffy. I want to look fresh. And so I'm going on a big shopping spree. I got to get clothes. I got to get hair stuff, skincare stuff, makeup. But I'm not going to feel guilty about this shopping spree because Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Rakuten is the shopping platform for savvy savers. From May 6th to May 13th, they're having their biggest cashback event of the year. I'm talking about 15% cashback at hundreds of stores with additional cashback bonuses. And they've got so many stores participating in their Big Give Week. So when it comes to clothes, I'm looking at Splendid and Good American. And when it comes to beauty, they've got so many good stores participating. They've got Ulta, Fenty, Bobby Brown, Blue Mercury, and all the products that we love. Now we can get cash back. It's like getting a discount on the stuff you're going to buy anyway. It's absolutely amazing. They even have travel brands. So that's going to be super convenient for me with all my upcoming trips. Expedia, Hotels.com. You can get deals on everything from electronics to home goods to travel and beauty. Young and Profiters, you're going to want to grab this limited time deal with both hands. You get high cashback rates for only eight days. So hurry. Membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of the 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app at R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Young and profiters, as you may know, I launched my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass a little bit over a year ago. It was my first course. And so far, I've generated well over $500,000. And the best part is I didn't have to figure out how to set up my mastermind subscriptions, how to do abandoned cart targeting and all of that tech geeky stuff. I just left that all to Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And if you're in that I need to sell more with less stage, Shopify magic is your AI superpowered sidekick ready to whip up captivating content that converts. And it doesn't matter if you're selling digital products or vegan cosmetics. 
Shopify helps you sell anything, anywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Stop those online window shoppers in their tracks and turn them into loyal customers with the internet's best converting checkout. I'm talking 36% better on average compared to the other options out there. It's no wonder Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., including huge global brands like Allbirds and Thrive Cosmetics. It took me a day to set up my Shopify store. I set up chat, took two minutes, and I was done. One month from thinking of the idea to implementation, a year later, I've made half a million dollars on the idea. That's what it takes in 2024, just a good idea. And then utilizing a platform like Shopify that can help you make it a reality. There is no excuse these days. If you've got a good business idea and you think you'll be a good entrepreneur, you don't have to wait any longer. You don't have to be super techie. And you never have to worry about figuring it out on your own. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash profiting. Young and profiters, we are all making money. But is your money hustling for you? Meaning, are you investing? Putting your savings in the bank is just doing you a total disservice. You got to beat inflation. I've been investing heavily for years. I've got an E-Trade account. I've got a Robinhood account. And it used to be such a pain to manage all of my accounts. I'd hop from platform to platform. I'd always forget my Fidelity password. And then I have to reset my password. I knew that needed to change because I need to keep track of all my stuff. Everything got better once I started using Yahoo Finance, the sponsor of today's episode. You can securely link up all of your investment accounts in Yahoo Finance for one unified view of your wealth. They've got stock analyst ratings. They have independent research. I can customize charts and choose what metrics I want to display for all my stocks so I can make the best decisions. I can even dig into financial statements and balance sheets of the companies that I'm curious about. Whether you're a seasoned investor or looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Oh my gosh, I love that concept. Like I said, I've I've heard of the word moat, but I've never heard of it in business. So I think that's really cool. I love like uncovering new concepts from my listeners. Thank you. Okay, Shadline, I see you're on stage. You've been patiently waiting. I'd love to hear your question and how we can help you today. First and foremost, hi, Britt, and everyone, thank you so much for holding this space. A lot of the questions that I had were actually answered, but um, I'm pre-launch, and I was just wondering if there were any tips for market research. Oh, interesting question. I think market research is like so under-talked about, by the way. (laughs) I mean, maybe it's because I'm just like, I mean, I have a podcast called Teach Me Something New. I'm insatiably curious. Like we just had a a mold issue in our house. And now I could tell you about like 10 species of fungus and what they all do to your body and, and like the air, because I just like go deep into this stuff, which by the way, I think is both a, a sign of a, a great entrepreneur and a, an investor because you're just like really being able to figure out your market. So market research, I mean, honestly, for me, it's Google. I just, if, okay, let's say that I want to start, you know, an infant formula company, like I was just talking about. I would go straight to Google and I would search like who are all the best infant formula companies in the US globally. If they are public, I go and look at their financial reports and actually pull data. And I did this for Britain Co too. So when I was fundraising for Britain Co, at the very beginning, our strategy was to actually go after some of the big craft retailers in the US, like Michael's stores and Joanne's fabrics and all of those. And it was all about like creativity and helping women, you know, learn to be creative. Anyway all these companies were like public. I was able to go get their data, like figure out exactly how much they were spending on things, what the revenue was like, what categories were most popular for them of the, of the sales they were making. And I was able to then help that reinforce my strategy, which I definitely put in my pitch deck to investors as to like why my strategy was going to be successful. You know, for instance, 
These two stores combined make up 90% of the market of U.S. craft retailers. This is a $33 billion market with two legacy brands owning the space. They do 98% of their revenue in brick and mortar stores and only 2% of their revenue in e-commerce or digital transactions. Britain Co. is going to take market share by going after the 98% of digital transactions that they are not making right now in this $33 billion market. If we can even penetrate 10% of that, that's a $3 billion business right there. You know, so that would be an example of how I would use market research to make a case, both to like prove my business strategy, but also again, to go pitch that to investors. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Shadline. All right. So we're going to continue on with the Q&A. We just have a couple minutes left here. Payal, how can we help you today? Hi. Thank you so much for every video video for hosting this space. So I just started new and I just post-graduated in social media marketing from, uh, from Canada. And then I started, like just after my graduation, I started my own business and Apart from that as well, I am also looking for a full-time opportunity. So my major challenge for business, and I would love to ask Brit about this, like I have a few clients with me, like in the very first month, I got a few clients. But the thing is that even to attain a few more clients for me, I think the most challenging part is that how do you like show themselves that you are very confident? Because I think social media marketing is something that you have like so many competitors out there. And how do you actually like sell yourself so good that, because I think I want to sell myself so well that people are actually attracted by the fact that, okay, there are so many competitors, but then no, she's the best or something like that. Yeah. Well, okay. This all comes down to testimonials. So I, here's another thing that a lot of people make the mistake of, and I would, I would, sorry, women, but I would generalize this to you, all you out there. Um, but we give away our products for free or our services for free as we're getting started instead of charging people for it, because we're just like, Oh, you should, you should have this. Or like, I'll do this, you know, free coaching session with you, or I'll come decorate your house for free. We're very like giving, nurturing human beings, which is awesome, except for that makes us terrible business owners. However, the one time I tell people it's okay to give away something for free or for a discount, um, like a steep discount, is if they will um, give you something back in return. And, and in many times when you're just starting, that thing is like a legit testimonial before and after photos, you know, before and after transformation, like all of this stuff, which should be used in all of your marketing on your website, have them share it out to their networks. Because frankly, this word of mouth is going to be so powerful for you. And oftentimes letting other people speak for you is like makes wonders beyond what you can do for yourself. If you go to the tryselfmade.com website, there's like a whole category of hundreds of testimonials, of five-star reviews, of you know stories of transformation of how these women launched their businesses, started you know creating real revenue, changed their lives even just personally. And like, I would like first and foremost go out and do that because that is going to make you stand apart from the rest of the crowd. It's why you know Amazon does so well. Reviews are the heart of Amazon and Yelp and like every e-commerce site. So so please go out, collect reviews, and make that part of your story. Also, I have a one more quick question. So how do you guys go about like pricing? Like initially when I started, I thought that, you know, maybe I'm just underselling it. But then when I actually heard the prices, then I was like, okay, I am somewhere in the between. But then now when I'm trying to attract clients from even from different countries, I want to understand the pricing. So how do you guys go about that? Yes, we have a whole section on this too in the self-made course. Pricing is an art. Pricing is marketing at the end of the day. And pricing is part of a business model. You want to make sure, you know, you're thinking about pricing so that you have profitable margins, right? And so it depends on the product, the category, and where you want to fit into it. Um, for instance, you know, I was actually earlier today mentoring a woman who's a fashion designer and, you know, she sells dresses that are like $500 and they're going to be, you know, they sell in like Saks and Neiman Marcus and Bergdorf and, and the other day, like Target approached her and was like, Hey, you know, I think you should put your dresses in Target. And that would 
cheapen the quality of her brand. That's not the brand that she is creating right now. That said, as it relates to like really minute changes in pricing, like should this be like $19.99 or $39.99? You know, you're reaching a mass market at those price points. That all comes down to a lot of testing (laughs) and sort of like what will the market bear? And there are a lot of like, I can go on. This is a long, this could be an hour long lesson about pricing in general, because at the end of the day, there's a lot of ways to do it. If you remember, Netflix started at $7 a month. I don't know about you guys, but my Netflix bill right now is $15 a month. Like they started low, accrued as many people onto the platform as possible at a really low price, got them hooked on it, and then slowly started raising the price over time because they weren't churning their subscribers, right? It's always easier um, to do something like that if you have a product that's really low cost to start, right? Otherwise, it's actually usually a bad idea to start at a low price and then start raising it. <laughs> it's better. It's always better to start at a high price and offer here and there discounts when you can. So yeah, anyways, pricing is an art. Pricing is marketing. And pricing should be a definitive part of your business model that should be tested as much as possible. Awesome question, Payal. Britt, you are such a wealth of information. Thank you so much for this awesome conversation. We're going to have the last question because I know that you have to run. So we're going to get to the last question here. Hisham, how can we help you? What is your question for Britt? Hi, Hala. Thank you so much. Hi, Britt. I work in tech and I've always found this topic so fascinating, but I want to know what the elements of a scalable business model are. Oh, I like this one. A scalable business model at the end of the day for me comes down to profitable unit economics. And so what I mean by that at the simplest form of it is, can you acquire a customer for less than they will pay you, right? And when you do that at scale, does that still work. A lot of companies have gotten into trouble by um, not focusing on profitable unit economics. There are some that have been more public. So for instance, the mattress brand Casper, or you know, a lot of these direct-to-consumer businesses that were really popular over the last 10 years raised a lot of venture capital money. So they they thought they had a lot of money to spend and they were acquiring users. Let's say they acquired a customer, you know, a hundred dollars through Facebook ads or you know Google search or whatever marketing they employed cost per customer was $100. And if that customer only spends $50 with you, you're in the hole $50 for every new customer you have, right? That is not awesome. And you might get a lot of customers. If you have a billion dollars to spend on marketing, you're going to get a lot of customers for $100 a customer, but you're going to be in the red, right? Sometimes companies will be okay with that, like Uber, for instance, or Amazon. Um, I think Amazon wasn't profitable until just recently, and Uber still is not profitable. You know, some of these huge public companies still are not profitable because they're okay growing unprofitably because they're taking over entire industries, right? Like Uber's trying to take over the transportation industry. And they think that over time, again, as people are hooked and engaged on their core service, they will over time spend more. So that $50 is actually going to be $500 at the end of their you know lifetime of customer membership with Uber. However, you know that's where you can get in a lot of trouble if that's not true. Um, and if that doesn't prove to be true, you're going to be burning a lot of money. So, you know, nowadays, what a lot of investors look for are, you know, really profitable unit economics. For instance, for, you know, one company I'm an investor in, they spend $100 acquiring a customer, but their lifetime value, the customer's lifetime value, like their lifetime average spend with the company is $1,000. And I'm just like, how much more money can I give you to just go dump on growing your customer base because that is a $900 profit margin. (laughs) It's a huge profit margin. And if you can do that at scale, if you can do that with many millions of customers, you're going to have a huge company. So that is what scalability means to me in terms of the business model. Awesome. Hisham, did we help you today? Is your question answered? Yeah, that was great. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, Britt. So closing thoughts to leave everybody off on a high note. My last question to you and kind of the closing thought for the night is there's lots of people listening to this conversation, either on Young and Profiting Podcast or in this room here on Clubhouse who are in corporate careers. They have a day job. They really want to become an entrepreneur, but they're so scared of taking that risk. They're so scared of taking that leap. 
and feeling like very tied to that consistent paycheck. So what would you say to anybody out there who really wants to start a business, who feels passionate, but is just scared to take the leap? You know, honestly, there's a one-liner that I've always loved and it's sort of cheesy, but it's true. And it's one day or day one, you decide. And what I believe is true is that so many of us have dreams and aspirations for one day and we wait for life to be perfect and we wait for the perfect opportunity to happen or us to have enough money in our bank account or enough time in our day or we're living in the exact right spot or we know the right people or we feel smart enough to take the big leap, to do the big thing that we've always wanted to do. But the problem is if this year hasn't been a testament to this, like please wake up because you do not have that much time. Pandemics can happen. The world can change. Your health can change. This is the time. And if you feel this inside of you, please don't dismiss it. This is something that you should know about life. Like you know, Oprah calls it the whispers. When you hear these voices inside of you asking, should I do this thing? You know, I wish I could do this thing. One day I'll do this thing. That is your gut instinct telling you that maybe it's time to do this big thing. And if we listen to that gut instinct, more often than not, we end up as happier people. Even if the work is hard and the days are long, trust me, I've seen this happen to thousands of people. They quit their job that they hate and that's really boring for them. And they do the thing that's scary and courageous and, you know, totally out of their league. They are happier people. They come home so exhausted, but so excited and proud of themselves. And they are smiling and they're meeting new people and they're challenging themselves in ways they never thought possible. And so please trust me and trust yourself to make one day, day one, and to consider what your world would be like if you finally took that leap and listened to that voice inside of you. This was such a valuable episode. And as I mentioned, I've had a couple conversations with Britt on Yap and I always leave super impressed and inspired. Britt is a force and such a boss babe. And if you love this Yap Live episode with Britt as much as I did, share it with your friends, hit that five-star rating, drop us a review and listen to her full-length Yap episode, which is linked in the show notes. Okay, my biggest takeaway from this conversation is that entrepreneurship requires action. Yes, you got to go out and do stuff. And there's a certain amount of planning you need to do, of course, but a business plan is not a business. You've got to go out there and get to work. And when hurdles come up, you got to jump over them and keep on running. I remember how nerve wracking it was for me when I first started the podcast, when I was reaching out to celebrities and thought leaders and asking them to be on my show. I had to put myself out there. I had to face that I would likely be rejected nine out of 10 times. But if I didn't step out of my comfort zone, I'd still be sitting at my desk at Disney writing lists of everyone I wanted to talk to instead of actually talking to them. There will never be a perfect moment to start your business. There will never be a perfect moment to start your passion project. So you might as well just start doing stuff. You've got to be brave. Your fear is going to tell you that you aren't ready, that you've got to have the exact URL or that perfect name, or you need to get it trademarked or you'll never succeed. But that is not true. You can't let these little things prevent you from getting started. As Britt put it, don't let anything become an obstacle. Entrepreneurship is a game of flexibility and adaptation. And I found that it actually gets easier with time. In the past two years of growing Yap Media, my problem solving skills have improved tenfold and I'm much, much better at identifying what isn't working and what is. So approach your entrepreneurial journey with a growth mindset, learn from your mistakes, and most importantly, just keep moving forward. So as Britt said, do your market research, identify your moat or what sets you apart from the competition and then get to work. And remember, you just need one customer to start exponentially growing your business. What are you waiting for? I hope you get started today. And let me know how it goes if you do. How did you overcome your hurdles? How did you get your first client? I wanna know your story. I wanna hear from you. You guys can text me by joining our text community, text yapped. YAP to 28046 and tell me how you started your first business or how you overcame hurdles to start your business. I would love to hear from you. You guys can also DM me at Yap with Hala on Instagram or Twitter or find me on LinkedIn. Just search for my name. It's Hala Taha. Or you can find me on LinkedIn at Hala Taha. Thanks so much for listening and thanks to my amazing and growing Yap team. You guys are awesome. Catch you next time. This is Hala signing off.